You're listening to Mile 406, your mobile learning opportunity from the Montana Department of Transportation. And now your host of Mile 406. Good morning. Um, first, I want to introduce myself. My name is Scott Burnett. I'm the <coughs> HR trainer. I've been with the Department of Transportation now since the end of January. Uh, prior to that, I worked for the Department of Public Health and Human Services as their HR training coordinator. Um, we did these webinars over there for about seven years, and I love doing it, so I worked to get them brought over here. I asked our lovely panel today to come in here and talk with us because I do believe that leadership is an important uh, topic for us to really cover, and I wanted our top leadership here to speak with you. So I'm going to let our panels introduce themselves, and we'll go ahead and get started. So who would like to kick off? All right. Well, I'm Ryan Dalkey. I have been at MDT for 24-ish years, something like that. And I was visiting with somebody earlier this morning that I've been in some kind of a leadership role since 1999 at MDT. <laughs> um, uh, shortly after I, I was employed, I, I got thrust into a leadership role, and uh, it's been fun ever since. Uh, right now, my role most recently in the past five weeks or so, four weeks, is MDT's pre-construction engineer, leading all of our um, design staff, in essence, bringing projects from concept to awarding to a contractor. Thank you, Ryan. I'm Julie Brown. I am the deputy director, and um, I started um, a year and a day. So yesterday was my one year anniversary here at FET. Um, and, and so when I started, um, I had never been in transportation before. So I knew I had a lot to learn. Um, and so I started, I asked a lot of questions. Um, people were really patient with me. Um, and I, I listened carefully to the answers that I was getting. Um, and my goal was to find out, you know, what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. Um, and from that emerged some themes, um, and, and that was kind of the genesis of, you know, our new mission, vision, and core values. Um, and luckily for me, I personally aligned to everything that I was hearing, and I knew instantly that I had found a home. So um, that's kind of my background, um, and that'll get it up to Michelle. I'm Michelle Keel, Human Resources and Occupational Safety Administrator. Um, it'll be two years for me at MDT next month. Um, similar to, to Julie, I, I I worked at FISH just for a little while before this of government. This was new to me in public service, um, but it's amazing. I love what we do. and um, We have such a great team, and I think we're just getting better, so I'm excited to be here. My name is Frank Kaler. I think most of you all know me. Uh, I'm currently the Chief Operating Officer, but I've held a multitude of positions within the agency. And I've actually been managing people uh, since the late 80s. Probably the most challenging one was I managed my older brother for a summer while we worked on a crack seal crew. That was interesting. Um, but here at MDT, I've been managing a fair number of staff for about 18 years now. I made the mistake 
couple of years ago of, of making the statement that I've just about seen everything. And I was taught a lesson that no, I haven't. Um, so that's a good, good, humble message that to remind me that you can always grow and you can always continue to learn. And that's what I love about MBT is you never know what you're going to see on any given day or here um, in any given day. And, and I love that because it's, it's such diversity that we have at this agency. And, and I absolutely cherish that. Yeah. I hope you all do as well. So, Before we get into the meat of this, I want to let everybody know we do welcome questions. So at any time, uh, those online, if you have a question, just put it in the chat. I'll make sure that the panels get it. For those in the room, just hold up your hand, speak up. Uh, we'll make sure that it gets answered. So we want to talk first and foremost about the mission, vision, values of the agency. We discussed this the other day, so. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, since I opened the door to this, uh, like I said, this, um, it, some people have said that, that there was something that I started. If I, I just kind of documented what I was hearing in those first days, um, weeks, months, having come here, I said, you know, what is it that we do and why do we do it? And as the themes were emerging, I just basically wrote it down and then, you know, sent it out to the admin staff to say, does this resonate? Is this, because this is what we're doing. And when we talk about culture, it is how do you do what you do? You know, what are the methods? Um, and so I documented kind of this is this is what I've heard, this is what I've listened, this is what what I'm learning. Um, and does it resonate? And I my hope and our hope is that it resonates with with you as well, um, and that you can find you know and, and draw those connections between what you do every day um, and our mission, vision, core values. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear from the panel. We'd love to hear from all of you um, as to whether it resonates and, and are you finding it easy to kind of make those connections um, to what you do? I'd add two things to that. And, you know, at MDT, I know I mentioned earlier, I love the diversity. The other thing I, I really love and cherish about MDT is the, what we do. And I think the core values in builders really captures that. I mean, you look out the door, you, you don't have to look very far to see what we do. Every one of you rode to work in some form or fashion, whether it was in a car, a bus, a bike, whatever, or walked here. Either way, you got here via what you do every day. You are part of the transportation system that gets you from point A to point B every day. So even whether you're an accountant, HR, or an engineer, or maintenance, you are tied into everything that makes Montana what it is. And that's our transportation system. The other thing that I love about our core values is it's all about team. But I think it's even bigger than team. And, and I, I, I had to smile so large when we got the new director and then we got the new deputy director because they both emulated what I've always felt about this agency is that we're more than a team, we're a family. And when Mac Long came in, one of the things I absolutely love about Mac is he is huge family oriented. Um, you will see Mac on the phone 
time and time again throughout the day. And about 50% of the time, he's on the phone with his family, his wife, his kids, his dad, you name it. He's on the phone with his family, very, very connected. But when he came here, he adopted us as part of his family. He came from a very long life as a contractor, but he put that aside and became part of MDT, which is in the past was very adversarial to contractors. Now we're learning to partner and be a, a partner with them. And he has embraced that and it's huge. And you heard it in Julie's intro, you know, when she came in and, and experienced it, again, she adopted us as part of her family. And that's what I love about this agency is it's, it's a team, but it's bigger than that. It's family, so. Um, I, I think the mission and vision for values aligned. <laughs> and I think that, um, and just so you know, we don't just put these together and never think about them again. Um, we recently had a leadership retreat at the end of June, sometime in June. <laughs> and we actually spent a really good amount of time working on strategic goals that aligned to those mission the mission and vision values. So it's not like something we just write up and then we walk away and you know it's never thought of again. We were working strategically on that to make sure that everyone can see the alignment that Julie was talking about. What do I do every day? And I can see how it goes up all the way. So um, I think it's important to let you know that we do we're still working on that. We're still looking at it. Is it is it working for us? How are we, how are our divisions supporting this? How is every individual employee supporting it? Um, and I think that's really important as well. I'm going to throw in my, my very transparent two cents. Um, mission statements and vision statements can just be that. They can just be a statement, right? We've, many of us that have been here for a number of years, um, have seen that even when we've been part of other organizations, we see um, a mission statement or a vision statement and it sounds good and it looks good right <clears throat> one of the key things that makes this different is the proof is in the pudding um, and one of the core values that we have is being unified in our delivery of our transportation program practically speaking what does that mean um, in the past weeks, I've seen in this organization and in others that it's a it's kind of a buzzword, unified. I've seen practical application of it um, by all of our executive management. I wasn't part of this administrative retreat. I wasn't part of developing the mission, this, this concept. Uh, what I observe in this role, particularly the last nine, 10, 11 months is it's actually being applied. Um, I'm seeing like no other time in my 24 years here, not disparaging anything in the past. I'm simply stressing how successful it has been recently. I've seen administrators sit down with other administrators, ask a question and instead of getting no, um, that doesn't work because of X, Y, and Z. The response is different. It's just different now. Um, the response is, there's some hurdles in what you're asking. How can we, let me see it from your perspective. How can we get to 
a yes? How can we get to um, working together to actually lead both of our divisions to the common goal? And it, I have not seen that before, um, quite honestly. I've, I've seen the concept on paper, and I am now seeing it in practical application. I, I've had conversations with John Swartz or whoever it is, and and it's the the I don't it's hard to put into words. It's just it, it's a philosophy, it's a mindset that is just absolutely different in in how they respond to requests or problem solving. Is there's genuine interest in meeting the other division's needs in reaching your goal. Um, it is, it's really hard to orate in, in, a, in a really good way other than it is, it's being practically applied. Um, and that's probably the most important thing to me is that um, action is being taken. It's not just, yeah, we say we're gonna do this. It is, it's practical applications. Let's work together. Let's find an, a common solution that we can get to uh, together. And I, I so appreciate you saying that, Ryan, because it is something that we intentionally said, this is not going to be shelf art. It's not the one and done and you know, check the box. It we have challenged each other and we challenge all of you um, to to live this. Um, to model this, um, and and that's what Ryan is seeing um, is, and we hold each other accountable. If if we say, you know, does that really align to to what we say um, we're gonna do? Uh, we raise our hand and say, you know what, I messed that up. I I, you know, that was not unifying the organization. That was divisive. I I own that. I'll do it differently. So. That's part of what it means to model and live these values. And like I said, it came from, it wasn't here, do this. It, it came from, this is what we're already doing. Let's just document kind of, this is our culture. This is how we're doing it. Some of it is aspirational. And I think we'll probably talk about some of that here that what we're still working on. Um, but a lot of it is already here, so. So we were supposed to have Matt here today, and I, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we, we weren't just blown off. He was called to a meeting that was kind of important, so that's why we had Ryan come down today. So anybody's wondering about that, that's why we have the panels the way we do. So the one of the questions is, what does the culture of leadership at MBT mean to you? I guess we'll start with Dwayne on this one. Sure, I'll take a stab at it. <clears throat> to me, it means leading by example, and, and it goes back to what Ryan and, and Julie were just saying. You know, we, we can hand you a mission statement, we can hand you a goal, we can hand you all sorts of things, but if we aren't living by that code as well, then all that is poppycock. It means nothing, and it's hypocritical. So I really think it comes down to leading by example and setting the standard and demonstrating here's really the culture we want to see in the agency. And, and I hope that well, we're doing that. And I would challenge each and every one of you, without a doubt, and I truly mean this, if you don't see us doing that, if you don't see me doing that, I would challenge you to call me on it. 
And I, I really, truly mean that. I don't know how best to say that other than I truly mean that. If you don't see me acting in that high level, in that high standard, call me on it. By all means, please call me on it because that's what I expect. Um, and we should be exhibiting that. Have I ever done that? Do you? Oh, maybe once or twice. <laughs> And kidding aside, I appreciate that. I want that. I truly want that. That hey, Dwayne, is this really what you want to be exhibiting at this point in time? Because that's what I expect of you. That's what I should be giving to you. I agree, hundred percent. It's leading by example. I think it's also um, having you know everyone's on the same page in terms of expectations of how you treat each other, right? You go to the source. You don't go and talk behind their back. You have an issue. You talk to the person. Um, give people grace, assume positive intent, you know, I mean, it, we all have to be on the same page of what the expectations are in order to know what we're supposed to be doing with each other. I think that's huge too. Um, that's something we need. And for me, it's also about being vulnerable. We're not perfect. No one is, um, you know, and we make mistakes, we mess up. <laughs> but as Dwayne said, tell us, but I think it also shows that you're not expected to be perfect. I mean, I think so many times people get into positions and they think, well, I can't ask for help because I'm supposed to know or I should know or that looks like I don't know what I'm doing. Not at all. CEOs of very large corporations have coaches all the time because nobody's perfect and we all need someone to talk to and, and bounce things off. So for me, it's also being, being open to say, I don't know. Um, we do it all the time. I don't know everything. Um, and that's okay. I hope, I, I hope we have a culture where that's allowed and that's accepted and that's encouraged because if you're not asking for help, then what's happening, you know, is there are mistakes being made or is just nothing happening or whatever. So that, that's something I would say to you, know, is just helping each other and, and supporting each other. One aspect of our vision is effectiveness. And so how, how can we be ever more effective? Um, and one of the aspects, you know, there's two main things that when I think of effective, um, one is solving problems at the root, not treating the symptoms. Um, and and there, I mean, Dwayne is, does this better than I've ever seen. I mean, he, doesn't matter whose organ is, if there's a problem to be solved, he says, you know, what's the root cause of this? Um, he, he never bats the ball and says, not my lane, not, not my problem. He says, okay, what, what's the root cause? And then let's bring people together to solve um, with different backgrounds and perspectives to be effective in solving the problem. It's not you know, and he stays engaged until it is solved. He may not be the one that actually implements the, the fix, but he makes sure that he checks in and says, did that get fixed? Have we satisfied, you know, customer issue or, you know, internal whatever, ha has it been solved? So he stays on it until it's, it's done. Um, and then the other part, for me and being effective is seeking first to understand before trying to be understood. 
So getting the perspective of the person that you know you're working with um, to see it from their viewpoint before trying to advocate for your viewpoint. Um, and so you know not listening to make your and, and stop listening so that you, you're like, okay, I'm now I'm I'm drafting my response and you don't listen to what they're saying. Um, listening fully throughout whatever it is that they're saying. Um, and one um, image and, and short story that's that's always been very impactful for me on this is, um, you know, there's two sisters and there's one orange and they both, they're fighting over the orange. They both want the orange. Um, and so they say, well, the, the fairest thing to do is cut the orange in half. You get one half, I get the other half. But if they would have talked to each other and tried to understand what each of them needed, they would have learned that one of them just wanted the fruit and the other one was baking and she just needed the zest from the outside. So they both could have had 100% of what they wanted had they communicated with each other to say, you know, what do you need out of this? So, I mean, that's, that's just one example that's really been impactful to me to enforce, to seek first to understand before trying to be understood. What they said. <laughs> um, in addition to that, I'll add that um, culture of leadership, wherever it is, uh, to me boils down to a couple of key words. Um, humility and transparency are two huge things. Uh, being, Dwayne talked about this, being humble in how you lead and being open to criticism uh, and just being flat out transparent with your teams. Um, I don't know the answer or I messed up or I should know the answer to this, but I don't. So let me process through this and help me. Um, being transparent is makes a leader so much more relatable um, and it develops the relationship, which is where true leadership really comes in, right? And the third thing, the third word that I think of for the culture of leadership is service. Um, and that is serving your team, doing anything you can to help them succeed. That's number one. The one thing I want to add to all this is, I mean, a lot of this stuff, you're getting this from people that, you know, we've been to a lot of management training. We've been to a lot of, you know, workshops, you name it. We, we challenge each other back and forth at this high level. And, and it's pretty heavy and it's pretty deep and it's pretty serious. But one thing I don't want any of us to forget is we spend more time here at work than we do most of the time at home, at least awake. Um, let's not forget to have fun. I mean, you'll see us banter back and forth. Michelle didn't know it, but while she was talking about none of us are perfect, I'm over here pointing myself saying, yeah, I am. <laughs> let's have fun and, and let's make fun of ourselves. Let's, let's make this a fun, great place to work. So let's, Let's not, I mean, let's revel in what we're hearing and, and learn from it, but let's not forget to add the joy and the laughter and the humility and the fun in it at the same time. So you guys have touched on this a little bit already, 
Um, so in terms of employee engagement and performance, how does leadership affect performance overall? <clears throat> I started last time, so. <laughs> Well, if you don't have engaged employees who enjoy their work and want to come to work, you know, they're not going to have probably very good performance. Um, I think a lot of the things that Ryan was saying, you know, you have to be vulnerable and transparent. That's how you build those relationships as a leader. You know, if you don't, if you're not comfortable meeting people and, and working with people and, and getting to know them, maybe that's not, you know, your, your area of expertise. Because, I mean, being a leader is about people and getting to know them. And sometimes, you know, there's different expectations for you in terms of reaching out more and everything, as opposed to if your coworkers like, okay, well, they don't want to talk to me, whatever. I mean, it's different, you know? Um, so that's what engagement is in my mind. It's relationships, the relationship you have with your manager and your coworkers. So, I mean, obviously if you don't want to come to work every day, you probably won't, <laughs> which in, again, affects performance. As far as the role of leadership, um, and again, this is at all levels. It's it's not um, you know it, there there are multiple leaders throughout this organization, um, and you know one thing that can be done is working really hard to provide a culture and environment where innovation can take place, so that people can you know perform. And, and one way to do that, and, and some of the things we've talked about, is making it okay to to fail or, or stumble or trip, um, and but fail fast and fail forward. So there's something that you learn from it, um, and 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 look at it that way as it's it's learning, um, fail first attempt in learning. Um, so you. It, but it takes creating a safe space to try things on and do things differently. Um, and, that, and that was one of the other things that I, as, as I came on board and I'm looking around, I'm like, people are, people are kind of scared to, to make a mistake and, and raise their hand and say, you know, I messed that up. And, um, and so what can we do to start to, to shift that um, so that people, uh, you know, don't have PTSD and aren't kind of worried about, you know, well, I, I don't want to stick my neck out because, you know, that, that hasn't ended well for me in the past. Um, and how, how can we do that differently? And I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing it happen and the shift is taking place and we just, as leaders, just to continue to encourage that because we have such innovative folks on this team. And just to, to allow those ideas to come forth um, and, and for folks to be okay with questioning um, when someone says, well, this is how we've always done it, you know, saying, well, well why? In a genuine, curious way to, to ask the why questions, um, not to, you know, make people wrong, but just to genuinely Okay, so why did we do it that way? It could be exactly the way we need to do it, but just let me understand why is it that we do this? I would add one thing. I was kind of familiar with Joe here, and I'm going to ask her to chime in. 
as she says it's so much better than I do. But, you know, when when we talk about engaging employees, part of it is giving them the tools that they need to be the most effective. And one of the things that Julie talks about a lot is empowerment. It's easy to give employees the the authority to make the decision, but are we actually empowering them to make the decision? Um, and and I'd, I'd really rather you talk about it because you talk about it so well. I'm going to butcher it. So. <laughs> Well, it's, it's empowerment and enablement. It's it's giving them the tools, the skills, the time to to do things well and to set people up for success. So that's the, the piece one, give them the authority, um, but also give them the tools to, to be successful. That's the enablement piece. Yeah. The other thing I'll add, thank you, Julie. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to add is, is it's imperative that we all, and, and I talked about, you know, my experience or this group's experience, but you all have experience. It's imperative that you share that experience. Um, so often within the agency growing up in here, we saw, we've seen individuals that love to hoard knowledge and, you know, stay away. No, I'm not sharing my knowledge. You need to share that knowledge. You need to share your experiences and, and the why behind it. You know, so often managers make a decision and then tell staff, go forth and get it done. But we don't empower those staff or explain to those staff, here's why I'm making the decision. Here's all the things I've seen in my life that contribute to making the decision this way. We need to share that information. And in so doing, also coach them in the right ways of doing things. For example, you know, in the past, we were so good at telling people, no, we're not going to do it that way. We need to migrate towards finding ways to solve the problem in a win-win for us and whomever else we're dealing with. And it starts with finding that yes. Now, don't anybody walk out of here and say, hey, go ahead and violate state law or policy, all the rules out there to get to the yes. What I'm saying is find ways to get to a yes. And, and I said this to the EPMs yesterday. Here's a shining example. You know, our specs require that a contractor puts lifts in and eight inches thick, and then they have to come back it. So many contractors, they can make so much more money if they put them in at 12 inch, 24 inch lifts, but that doesn't build a good base. So they constantly come and ask our, our construction inspectors, hey, can I put in a, a 12 inch lift? The answer would be, yeah, you can put in 12 inch lift. It goes in and eight inches, you compact it. Then you can put the next four inches in. That's a yes. And, <laughs> and I love it. A lot of you smile, you laugh. Doesn't that sound so much better than no? I mean, you're saying the same thing, but you laughed about it. The contractor's going to laugh about it. And you're saying the same thing. Find a way to say that yes. And, and what it's going to do is it's going to encourage that communication and that back and forth. And you're going to find that win-win solution because they're going to tell you, well, here's why I'm trying to achieve that. You know, and it doesn't start that whole conflict-oriented battle that goes on so many times when you tell them no. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just building on that. It's 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 a qualified yes. So what's the difference between a qualified yes and a qualified no? I mean, they're identical, except for if there's a yes there, there's positive momentum forward. So find the qualified yes. Um, that, that provides the specs and the safety 
Um, but it's just, it's a, a mindset shift to, to start that kind of, okay, yes means forward momentum. And no, no means entrenched in position. And, and I want to demonstrate that the first time she mentioned that to me, I'm like, what the heck is a qualified no? Um, here, here's a qualified no. In that same example, qualified yes was yes. You could put it in in eight inch lifts, compact it, then apply the next four inches. Qualified no is no because the spec says you must put it in in eight inch lifts. They're the exact same thing, but which one hits you better, more positively, versus which one hits you more negatively? They're the exact same thing. I don't really know how, but this is probably as good a time as any to portray this um, in that I've seen or heard a number of people not pursuing leadership roles at MDT with the reason being, I'm just, I don't know if I want to manage that many people. Um, leadership is not management of people. Uh, those two things should not be confused. Leadership is support. And management is, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, putting your thumb on them and holding them to a certain standard. It is, those are two different things. Um, and supporting staff in such a way that they are self-accountable is leadership. And I'll be completely honest in my, since 1999, management of people is, kind of the least of my concern. <laughs> and it's the by far the smallest element of my job ever. Um, my role is to lead people, not manage them. And it is a it's a mind shift that I had to had to make over the first six, seven years of my leadership career that made things a lot easier. Um, are there going to be personnel issues? Sure, we're human, we're broken, right? But um, it is actually the smallest element of a leadership role. Um, I didn't really know how to integrate that in, but it, I think it fits well with what's been talked about, that you're failing forward, you're empowering people, you're leading them to their own success, not vice versa. Can I ask a question as a follow-up to that? Um, do you think that a person has to be in a management role to be in leadership? I asked because I just read an interesting article on that. So I'll I'll give an example. <clears throat> As a project manager, which I was for about eight nine years, um, there were people on the design team for the projects that I was managing that routinely got out of their lane. And they would be in this silo over here and they would provide comments and, and challenges to this silo. And that didn't always go across very well. Um, and I didn't have any authority over either silo, uh, but using leadership techniques and in empowering people and encouraging people to step outside their lane and then encouraging people that were in the silo receiving the criticism, they have good, that person is 
just step back, listen to their perspective. Maybe not everything that they're saying is super valid, but a lot of it is. And really empowering those people. I had no leadership, formal leadership role in that instance, but it, I was trying to exhibit leadership techniques and 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 that in those situations where I had no organizational authority. And we all have that ability. Exactly. Leaders, leaders are those who people are willing to follow. Um, and, and so anybody can be a leader. Um, and so whenever we're looking at trying to, to uh, initiate change, we look out and say, where are the informal leaders out there that will help us kind of get the message out? Where are those folks that people go to to say, yeah, what are you thinking about this? Um, because yeah, people, if, if people follow you, you are a leader. <laughs> And some people are resistant to it, but it just that that's the reality in simplest terms. Yes, covered extremely well. <laughs> so here at uh, ME2, are there any leadership styles or methods, theories that you're trying to achieve that we have not already? Is there any area that we think we're lacking? I, I, sorry, the one thing that comes to my mind is just what Ryan was talking about, silo, silo. You know, I think we just really, I think we could do a better job there. And I think it's getting there, but it's just hard, you know, overcoming years of us being separate and not working together. Um, that's for us to encourage and empower people and tell them, you know, encourage them to go and talk to the other person, go find out what's going on. Um, so I think, I think there's some room for improvement there still. I think back to DPHHS when I worked there, there was two divisions that literally worked next to each other in the same building, in the same office, and they had a barrier between their office supplies that they all use the same budget for the office supplies, but nobody was allowed to touch the animals. <laughs> it was an interesting silent effect there as well. And I, I think <clears throat> building on that, um, if, if we could get better and, and all of us leaders to model this, um, to, to talk to each other and not about each other. Um, I think we could solve a lot of problems if if we don't tell or make up a story. We we go to the source and ask the question, and with again genuine curiosity, you know what what were what did you mean by that, or what did what were you thinking, or can it help me understand? I think a magical phrase that I try to use all the time is help me understand, um, and and that would be you know talking to someone um, versus, yeah, like I said, make up the story and then go tell other people your story. <laughs> so that would be something I, I think if we could nail that, and I think there's a lot of progress being made there, but that, that would be something we need to continue. I guess the one thing I'd add is, I think there's a lot of traits that go into your leadership style. You know, like Julie talked about, you know, understanding, listening to understand versus um, 
or communicating to understand versus communicating to be understood. I mean, there's a lot of traits out there, humility, you name it, all those traits. The one key is it's got to be you. If it's not genuinely you, people will know that. And uh, I won't relay the story, but I had an experience in my career where somebody was coaching me, counseling me, and, and either I was misunderstanding them or they were coaching and counseling me wrong. Either way, I, I reacted to a situation in a way that I was not me. And it was a negative situation, and I was trying to let somebody down and didn't get a job. And when I did not come across as me, the whole thing came across as false. And it went very, very bad. Um, and it ended up losing the employee eventually, and it was not good. So my biggest advice to each and every one of you is learn the traits, practice the traits. But at the end of the day, make sure it's you. Don't, don't try to be me. Don't try to be Michelle or Ryan or Julie. Be you. Truly be you. And, and when you work with somebody, be you with them. Don't try to be me because I'm only, I'm the only me. Um, that's a good thing. That's my biggest advice to you all is be true to you. So in terms of leadership, and this is going to be for all of you, what are your goals at MDT in terms of development, how to use it, all of it? I love what Mac adopted when he became director. Do no harm. Don't burn out. I actually told this to engineering my bureau chiefs a couple of years ago. Um, I set a goal in engineering that I wanted to set up that division in such a way that when I left, and, and that might come across really goofy, but what I'm trying to get at is I wanted to set that team up so strong that when I departed, their leader departed, somebody else stepped right in and they didn't skip a beat. And I think that's happened. And that's what I want to do at this level as well, but on a broader scale. I want to not only set it up so that when I depart, you guys don't notice, but I want to set it up in such a way that when my direct reports, the DAs, the chief engineer, the uh, rental transit planning administrator, the maintenance chief, when or maintenance administrator, when they leave, you don't you don't miss a beat. And that's no slam on on those individuals. They're great individuals, every one of them. But I want them to model that method and train their staff in such a way that they've got somebody that steps right in. And not only don't you miss a beat, but they actually take it to the next level. And, and even though I'm here and I, and I see Dustin in my position, it does not make me jealous. It makes me proud to see that he's taking engineering to the next level because that means I did my job. And that's what I want to see. Such a great point. And we talk about infrastructure um, resiliency, but this, this is, you know, organizational resiliency. When we, we do have that those methods in place so we don't miss a beat, I mean, that's that's resiliency. And, and so I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, for me, I, I'll, I'll start with a question. Um, and feel free, we can have this interaction. Um, so who here, raise of hands, um, and online if you could raise your hand as well. Who here thinks only the strong survive? 
How about the most in, intelligent? The most intelligent are the ones that survive. Right, so there's an alternative. So what, what is the alternative to those two? And have we, I mean, is this something that you've kind of heard? You know, I've, I've always heard it, you know, Darwin said, it's the only the strong survive. Is that, yeah, people have heard that yeah, as well. Okay, I'm gonna, you they guys adapt, yes, they strong, adapt. intelligent. I've heard it, okay. I, don't, I don't believe it, but go ahead. So, that the strongest, it isn't the most intelligent. It's those most able to adapt to change that are gonna survive and thrive. And so my goal um, is to get us ever more change ready because change is happening. That is the only constant is there's gonna be change. And so working on how we can be um, change ready as individuals, um, as leaders, as an organization. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, my mission and goal is to, to do the things to help us be change ready. So more to come on that, you know, but um, that, that would be kind of a goal to work on. Um, and getting people comfortable with being uncomfortable um, because it is that, you know, as we're trying to, to establish this culture of innovation, um, it's, it's uncomfortable to stretch outside of your comfort zone um, and take risks and, and, and try and stumble um, and, and trust that if you do stumble, you know, nobody's gonna fire you. We, we, we are trying to encourage this learning um, through trial. Um, so those are the types of things that, that we're kind of working on how best and, and I, I welcome any input um, any perspective, any ideas you have on how to, you know, what have you done that's, that's been able to, to get you change ready um, so that we can kind of teach that to, to everyone. I want to use that a little bit and kind of put it back on you all here in the room and you all at virtual land. You know, what is it we can do to demonstrate that we have your back. How can we aid you and be more comfortable? And because I think Julie hit it right on the head is with innovation, one of the biggest fears is fear of failure. But what is really bad about failure? You know, I, I, I remember what three, four years ago at the pre-construction conference, I, I told people we're we're gonna celebrate failure. And a lot of people laughed. And it, it's not a funny thing, it's a good thing. We want to celebrate our failures because, as Julie said earlier, we're going to fail forward, we're going to learn from, we're going to grow from. But the reason that I think people are, are scared to fail is they're scared that they're going to be held accountable for it or they're going to get in trouble for it. So what can we do in management? What can we do at the highest level to reassure you that you do the right things for the right reasons and it blows up? We got your back. How can we better demonstrate that? If you're uncomfortable asking or saying here in this room, send us an email. I'm, I really want to hear. I really want to know. Let us know. What can we do better? 
Well, Dwayne, this was a question I've been developing since we first started on it. Most of the strap planning that I've ever been involved with starts off with the core values. You work with your vision statement, and then you're working your way down almost into a funnel as far as focus goes. And so then you've got your 10 to 20 year goals, your five to 10 year goals, your zero to five goals in order to achieve what you're trying to do. And what you're talking about, I think, is looking more in terms of those 10 to 20 year or five to 10 year goal areas, because most of it, we've already got them established as far as short term, and we already know what our core and our vision is on it. It's in between that becomes an issue. And I think that I don't know whether or not, and I wish Mac was here because perhaps he'd be able to give us perspective as being the director. But I wonder whether or not because you changes in administration and changes, whether it be directorship or governorship or whatever, that a lot of those 10 to 15 year, 20 year goals end up getting changed. So it's not so much a fear of failure, but almost a fear of futility is that we go to the efforts, we take the time and effort to move forward to try to get those five to 10, 10 to 20 year goals established. And then something gets swept and our core values haven't changed and our short-term goals haven't changed because we're trying to achieve that. But everything that we've worked for in order to achieve those 10 to 10 to 20 year goals gets swept under the rug and get, just get lifted up and reestablished on it to the point where people say, it's not worth the effort. Scott, that's an awesome question. Before you go there, Scott, did you hear that online or do I need to repeat it? I can hear what he was talking on here. Okay. He's, he's got a nice, good, deep voice. So yeah. I'm guessing. <laughs> and, and sitting right into the mic, too. So. <laughs> so I think that's an awesome question. And yeah, I'm going to tell Mac here quite a bit. Mac is doing one of the things that. While we didn't necessarily know how to do it, we knew it was a need for many, many years. When Matt came in, he recognized that we are a worst untold story. Um, we need to go out and sell ourselves. And he started doing that by setting up meetings with the biggest risk that we have is from the legislature, setting laws or modifying our budget in some way that we can't achieve our goals. That's our number one threat number one challenge, whatever you want to call it. So what Mac's been doing is setting up meetings statewide, sitting down with legislators and just having a conversation with them. And that conversation turns into, well, what is MDT doing? Where are you trying to go? And it's a great educational experience for, for the legislators as well as us to find out what they're thinking, where they want to see us go. And then an opportunity for us to educate them about hey, by the way, here is where we're going, and here's why we need to go this direction. So I think we're building that foundation to minimize the risk of us being diverted from our ultimate goal and plan, which is really simple, building the best transportation system for the state of Montana. I mean, who can argue with that goal? I think our biggest challenge, and this is just my opinion, so anybody argue, feel free. I think our biggest challenge has always been can consistently pulling the ship in the right direction as an agency. Without that good foundation, without that good funnel in place, we don't all necessarily know which way to pull the ship. So we tend to kind of pull it in opposite directions. We're not achieving that, you know, that inline strategy of getting to this ultimate goal. So I think by building this goals, the foundation, the mission, that all align in that funnel, we're actually turning it upside down and build the pyramid. But um, 
it's the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. I think it, the more that we build it, build it right, get buy into it, and we all start pulling the ship in the right direction, the public, the governor, the administration, the legislature, all that is going to stand behind us and help us support that and keep going in that direction. Respond to your question using Julie's uh, discussion on change. Um, change is inevitable. Uh, we set really cool goals at 10 years. Well, we'll say reduce load postings for bridges across the state, and we have a very succinct plan to accomplish that. And then we get a legislative mandate or a change in leadership uh, that inhibits that. It is incumbent upon all leaders at MDT to be adaptive to that change and not scrap the goal, but change the goal, adapt to that change so we can still somehow find a way to make that a tenable goal still. Um, and we, it, you're, the adaptation to change is number one. Um, and I, I think what you're really getting at, Scott, is we have these great ideas and then something changes and the idea or the goal is scrapped. It's like, well, so much for that. Um, we have to get out of that mindset. And I'm seeing that in our executive leadership that we're not there anymore. We're like, okay, so, all right, we have this change. How is that gonna affect this goal and how we can achieve it? We still like that goal. Uh, we're just gonna have to adapt to it. And, and, and building upon that, Brian, and, and that makes a lot of sense, but building upon it isn't necessarily the fact that change is inevitable, because I think we all would agree that that's going to, that that's, <clears throat> that's the premise. But the fear when we're talking about people that are in non-leadership positions, when we're talking about the worker bees, if you will, the people that are actually doing it, and they don't see that the efforts that they've done to achieve those goals have actually been utilized, that those have been scrapped, mm -hmm. then at that point they become demoralized and they are not very receptive to going to that follow-up effort. If we can utilize, even if it's part of the effort that was made in order to achieve that, utilize that so that it reaffirms that, no, your efforts were not a waste of time even though we've had to divert it a little bit because of change, um, but it's still something that is usable. It would reinforce those individuals that, hey, it's worth taking that chance. It's worth being innovative. It's worth doing something because at least even though it won't be taken at 100%, maybe part of it will be taken care of in order for a positive effect. Excellent advice and insight into what we need to all Import. Agreed. I mean, prime example of of us needing to be better at you know communicating that effort was in vain. It was not futile. There there was some learning. There these are the aspects of it that we are moving forward because I don't think that we do that very well. Um, to give a bigger context as to why we had to go in a different direction and and what aspects of what was created are going to carry forward and maybe just in a different way. So it's a great point and, and advice. And I, I really think it is something we need to do a better job. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to stop everybody right here because I know you guys are all busy. 
Human resources training courses can be accessed through MDT classrooms. All information in this podcast is informational and does not supersede any policy or collective bargaining agreement. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Adventure awaits on the road.